Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I will. But it's not your screams I want. Only your life. Hey everybody and welcome to our podcast. I'm Duncan. I'm Kristen. And I'm Travis. And this is Game of Microphones episode 52. And today we are covering Game of Thrones season 1 episode 10, the finale of the first season, Fire and Blood. Great episode. And just so that everybody is aware, this is a spoiler-filled podcast. We are doing the rewatch of the series from the perspective of somebody who's cur- caught up to current episodes, which is uh, Season 7, Episode 7. So, welcome back to the podcast, Kristen and Travis. It's great to have you guys. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm stoked. <laughs> All right. Hello, Travis. I know. We finally get to be on the same episode. It's very exciting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You guys want to jump right into it? I'll let Kristen sure. start. All right. Oh, yay. Here's our okay. Game of Thrones um, top five. Top five, or top, three. Yeah, top three. Okay, so I my uh, number three is kind of, it's I've grouped it together as the aftermath and the forward action that it's caused. So, you know, we we start off this episode and it's basically um, a lot of, okay, Ned's Ned's dead. Now what? And um, and so 
it you go through a lot of different um a lot of different people that are that are doing a whole lot of different things. Um, Sansa is now Joffrey's official plaything. Uh, Tywin and his armies can't broker a truce because they no longer uh, they've pissed everybody off by killing Ned. Uh, Arya Arya turns into a boy to be <laughs> hidden away. Uh, John tries to abandon the Watch. The North secedes from the Seven Kingdoms. Rob is proclaimed the King in the North, which makes four kings. Um, so there's a lot that's, and Cersei is, or, um, Catelyn is totally never going to give Jamie back willingly. So, um, it it just, (laughs) well, willingly, right? At this point. Yeah. Um, At this point. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the moments of, you know, the Ravens showing up with the scrolls that Ned is dead, um, it's it was just kind of like this whole like ripple effect of okay the big thing has happened and now we're going to move on with the story and see kind of where the cards lie yeah yeah everything starts going crazy after this you you nailed it <laughs> lots yeah, of crazy the, stuff happening this is the pivot point of the episode or of the season or of the series i mean for me at least mhm definitely i i definitely agree um, yeah, and there's, you know, and, and a lot of people are just kind of acting or reacting, you know, just, you know, there's a lot of honor happening. There's a lot of reactive anger happening. I don't know. There's, it's like all, all of the, um, stages of grief are happening all at the same time. Right. That's, so that's my number three is, um, all the reactions to Ned's death. You've got Brandon and Rickon both having psychic dreams, um, oh, yeah. which is super crazy and creepy, um, like making the hand stare up, uh, stand up on your neck type of vibe. Um, it's actually pretty funny, right? When when Bran is heading down into the crypt with Osha, and he's explaining to her that he has the dream of the three eyed raven, and the raven brings him down into the crypts, and he sees Ned there, and um, she's kind of like rationalizing, like, "Oh, you're, you know, he's not he's he's not dead yet. He's not going to be in the crypt for many years to come." And Bran can sense that she's afraid, though, which is pretty uh, pretty wild, considering we're talking about Osha here, <laughs> um, right. who's right. Like, scared of nothing. He's like, I'm a cripple, and I'm not scared. Like, what's your problem? <laughs> and then they get down there, and there's the sudden like, movement. <laughs> yeah, she's shaggy like, yeah, not, see, Ned's not here. Everything's cool. And then, yeah, Shaggy Dog comes growling out of the darkness, and uh, <laughs> super creepy. Was that weird to anybody else that Shaggy Dog did that? Um. Not yeah. necessarily, because uh, he's is he's he's the one direwolf that's sort of the most like Rickon. Every one of the direwolves sort of has taken on traits of their right. human, and Rickon is kind of like this like wild dude at this point, a little bit doing his own thing. Well, that's what like, happens when no one raises you? <laughs> yeah, when you're left right. alone as like a four year old. <laughs> I think that uh, in the book series they elaborate a little bit more on Shaggy Dog and. His more wild side, um, kind of like uh, Rickon when he's running around Winterfell. Right. Um, I just remember some stuff about that. And it definitely, they, they kind of showed it in the series, but they didn't really explain it too much. I mean, it was just, he wasn't there for very long. <laughs> right, so it mm-hmm. could feel like surprising um, not having that background information. Mm-hmm. I guess I was just more taken aback that he would attack or growl with Bran there. 
Oh, yeah. OSHA's a wildling, and I understand that because we don't really trust her at this point. But yeah, it was just odd to me. That's all. Yeah, so, I can yeah, see that. Maybe he was reacting to her fear. You know, animals oh. like dogs are like react to emotion and stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, Rob got Greywin to do that later on, or maybe it already happened with uh, Jamie. Oh right, yeah. I think that's uh, next season. Yeah, yeah, next season. I get, I get. I'm all over the place right now. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I'm like so, Bran. Yeah. My brain's all over. <laughs> yeah, everywhere. Um, then we got other interesting reactions too. Um, we've got Rob, who just freaks out, <laughs> totally freaks out. Uh, imagine that being like the commander of your army. What is somebody going to say, like your other battle commanders, when they come upon you, like, eh, 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 beating your freaking sword against a tree in the middle of the woods? You know what this <laughs> scene reminded me of with uh, with Rob? What? It, uh, I know it came out before, but in the, um, the Force Awakens, when Kylo, oh, Kylo Ren, Ren beating the hell out of the computers and so the stormtroopers, I'm just like, uh, maybe we'll just go the opposite way. I think that's what it's going to be. That's spot on. <laughs> yeah, Rob totally. So it was, it was emo Rob? Yeah, he was just he was just super. Yeah, Kylo Rob, <laughs> um, <laughs> pretty classic. And Catelyn sort of freaks out for a moment there too. Um, needed to steady herself on the tree. Arya just sort of shut down um, and was just like leaning against Yorin, who keeps calling her a boy, and she's all confused. And he starts cutting her hair off, um, which is a pretty funny scene. Cutting the, cutting the hair off, yeah. Yeah, um, and like, I'm not a, I'm not a boy. <laughs> <laughs> she's always having people call her a boy. Just so funny. Um, I like how she's hooked up with the Night's Watch crew heading north, though. That's pretty cool. And um, you can tell the like the way it's reacted, the way she's sort of reacted to Ned's death is she's sort of closed off and become cold. Uh, like she sort of is super willing to totally murder Hot Pie at that one point. You know? <laughs> oh, she totally would have done it. Yeah, uh, it was hilarious how Hot Pie is bragging about having killed that boy. I knocked him down, I kicked him in the balls, and I kept kicking him and kicking him until he was dead. <laughs> I actually wrote down in my notes, um, like in capitals, uh, Hot Pie and Gendry, because it's like the introduction of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and um, and Lamy. The fuck's a Lamy? <laughs> <laughs> I love that meme. <laughs> Lamy. Yeah. Um, so Arya calls out Hot Pie. I bet you're a liar, but I'm not. I'm good at killing fat boys, and I like killing fat boys. So she's sort of like, you know, triggered into a dimension of sociopathy uh, as a result of Ned's death, which is kind of sad. And we definitely see that continue and grow to some extent, at least. Um, she manages yeah, to sure. resist it with her uh, inner situation with uh, when she's told to kill the actress lady in season six right so she sort of resists their total total psychopathy and um is overwhelmed with emotion and logical thought at that point and won't just go along with it which is pretty cool i liked Jon snow's moonlight ride too he yes, sort of freaks out as a reaction and wants to go and protect rob and be there for rob and put his sword through joffrey's throat which is a nice sentiment that i'm sure lots of uh, people appreciated <laughs> I bet. I think everybody wanted to do that. Yeah, I was gonna say. I bet you would want to do that, Kristen. <laughs> yes. 
I like how they got him to come back. Um, they just started reciting the oath right there, right then and there, out in the woods. <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. Um, it's one of a few times where the the oath is spontaneously recited by members of the Night's Watch at moments of extreme, um, at moments where they need to to get their their bravery up or get themselves ready or to to do do the right thing, whatever that may be, to join, come back to the wall or to fend off a giant that's about to kill you and all your friends in a tiny oh, little Mag tunnel. And Gren. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it was just the three times that we ever heard the the words was the original time and then this time and in, in this finale and then when uh Gren was trying to, you know, tell everybody, Oh, we're staying here. Is that um, we haven't heard it any more the, than that, you don't think? I don't think that it that they've said it any other times. Um, I was I was thinking about it. Maybe at Maester Aemon's death was there were they was it incorporated in there? Some maybe I don't know I can't remember. Not not the whole oath, but I mean there was other times throughout the show. Yeah, like we've definitely gotten in bits. season seven. You got little bits and you know Sam when he's up on the wall with John and he's you know going off about how you know it, it, it says uh <laughs> the vows not yeah the vows and like well it doesn't say i have to you know <laughs> have a kid or whatever <laughs> so yeah that was cool with john riding off and coming back and i like the moment with um lord commander mormont when he says honor brought you back and he's like well my friends brought me back actually it's like i didn't say your honor i didn't say it was your honor <laughs> yeah but that was a cool moment too. They're uh, reciting the oath and everything, the vows, and then Sam walks up with Longclaw and like sort of symbolically hands it back to John. And I like that they pointed that out too because it showed that John, um, much in the same way that Jorah did, had had enough grace to leave the sword behind <laughs> when he was <laughs> betraying Lord Mormont. <laughs> yeah. And then we get the scene with Mormont and John talking about it. You know, you look exhausted. Was your moonlight ride that tiring? And he's all surprised. And and um, he explains that if they beheaded everybody that abandoned for a night, the wall would be guarded by ghosts, which is pretty cool. And he starts mentioning all this these bizarre reports from up north of villages, wildling villages being abandoned and whatnot, um, and fires burning all throughout the night in the mountains far away. And he basically... Yeah, that was in my notes. <laughs> Because of, um, because he basically gives the entire speech that John says about fifty times in season seven. <laughs> it's like it's like John got the template in this episode. Okay, this is what you're gonna say. You're gonna talk about the White Walkers and the war up to the north, <laughs> and how none none of this throne stuff matters anymore because the real war is coming. Okay, you got it. Great. Now I'm gonna go die. Yeah, it's so perfect. You got it from here, buddy. Yeah. Do you think your brother's war is more important than ours? No. <laughs> that's actually my number three. <laughs> oh yeah go right into it then oh good let's go right into it yeah it was just i wrote down lord commander mormont's badass speech nice <laughs> and so i i actually wrote down the whole speech <laughs> um do you think your brother's war is more important than ours when dead men and worse come hunting for us in the night do you think it matters who sits on the iron throne good because i want you and your wolf with us when we ride out beyond the wall tomorrow the Night's Watch will ride out in full force against the Wildlings, White Walkers, and whatever else is out there, and we will find Benjen Stark, alive or dead, and I will command them myself. So I ask only, or I only ask you once, Lord Snow, are you a brother of the Night's Watch, or are you a bastard boy who wants to play at war? Yeah, so classic. <laughs> so I, just, 
that was my number three. I just I loved that because it it just kind of I mean it's the end of the season and we're finally going out beyond the wall and we don't really know what's out there and besides from small reports <laughs> and what we saw in the in the pilot. You and know. considering all the chaos that's going on down south, for someone to say, um, do you think it matters who sits on the Iron Throne? when dead men and worse come hunting for us in the night it kind of puts everything in perspective and it's like, Oh shit. Like there's some, something serious going on up North. If it doesn't even matter who's the King really, when that <laughs> shit happens. When I first watched, um, like this whole, um, first season, I think I joined in, I think it was like the first live episode I watched was battle of Blackwater. So that's season two. Um, so I, I was binging it all. And then when it got to this moment right here, I was just like, you know, like what you just said, you know, I was like, oh, damn. Yeah. There's all this, there's all this chaos. And then for a couple episodes, we kind of forgot about like what's up north and the way he just gives a speech, he makes it seem like this is the most important thing that we need to focus on like right now. <laughs> right. And John sort of represents the viewer in this scene, you know, he's like all worried about everything that's going on down south. And then he's just totally blindsided by like the truth coming from the Lord Commander that it's truly insignificant in the grand scheme of things compared to what's probably coming from, <laughs> from beyond the wall, just hardcore. Yeah. What do you think, Kristen? Oh, I agree with, I agree with what you guys are saying. I just, um, I, I just, I just started laughing so hard when he started saying this speech to John, honestly, cause it, it's just, it's John's speech now. Yeah. yeah. It, it, the, yeah. These words do not belong to, um, Lord Commander Mormont anymore, you know? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, so, you know, but it's, it also shows how far John has come, you know, he's gotten to the point now yeah, that I mean, this since is season one, right? Yeah. He's taken this, um, you know, he's taken long claw and he's, ta and, and he's just kind of run with it. Yeah. He's taken so up, taken long claw and taken up the mantle. Um, you know, like, yeah, like you're saying, he's, he started off, running down to the south again here temporarily thinking that that's where you know his attention needed to be and he really steps up to the plate and gets his gets his uh his focus in the right spot after this yeah absolutely um yeah it was <laughs> when i was watching that scene and you know you're watching john's face as as uh mormont is is speechifying him <laughs> and all i could think about was you and jason talking last week about how you could make a drinking game out of how many times his mouth is left open <laughs> in, in season and i'm like oh this is one of those moments i don't even remember talking about that that's hilarious. i actually listened today to that oh man that's a great moment i like that one line too um i think you left it out of your of your um quote there travis but he says i'll not sit meekly by and wait for the snows we need to oh, find out what's have. happening. Uh, so, yeah, it's just cool. He's like, fuck that. I'm not just hanging around, you know, and <laughs> waiting to see what comes. We got to figure this shit out, boys. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. It's such a classic line. I want you and your wolf with us when we ride out beyond the wall tomorrow. And then, boom, like this triumphant music starts to swell as John's like, beyond the wall. <laughs> exactly what he's always dreamed of, you know? He's like, I'm a ranger. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> a roundabout way to get there, but that's the end goal, you know. 
You know that they didn't go back to Castle Black in all of season two? Oh, I never realized yeah, that. Yeah, they were. I noticed that. Yeah, they were gone. They were out there for quite a while. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the producers were really upset that they built these massive sets and for Castle Black it. and for the Eerie, and they didn't revisit them once wow. in season two. <laughs> That's so funny. The Eerie, I didn't even think of that. We didn't go to the Eerie in season two. I guess not. Wow. Which is huh. fine. Oh, yeah, fine. <laughs> no more milk sops to deal with. For I a little don't while. need to see any of that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I do miss that moon door, though, whenever I'm not around it. You better, yeah, you better miss it. <laughs> you don't want to go through it. I love it. that moon door. <laughs> um, what's your number two, Kristen? My number two is um, Tyrion becoming the Hand. Nice. Yes, I wrote that in my notes. Oh, yay! <laughs> Not my number two, but it's in my notes. <laughs> so, well, I just feel like this was such a huge moment for so many different reasons. And um, one of them, let me go back to my notes where it is. Um, one of them is that this is kind of where Tyrion's experience of ruling begins. This is where he he begins to become the hand of the queen, right? He's he's going to rule uh, back in um, King's Landing for Joffrey, and he's given this huge gift by his father, who has never really cared about mm-hmm. him or considered him an equal, and he gives him this huge responsibility when he could have given it to anybody else. Yeah. And I think Tywin made the decision to do this when... Tyrion broke that glass and he said there's your piece you can't you can't drink from it anymore you know now that Ned's dead uh, yeah I agree Rob Stark's not coming to the table and you know I think that's when Tywin realized that you know he's he's really smart and he's probably um Tywin's intellectual equal yeah, that's what he meant when he said, you are my son. And Tyrion said, why me? I, yeah. I wrote well, that quote down, you're my son, um, right here. So yeah. that was definitely like a highlight. We have a listener mentioning this scene, too, in the uh, Raven's yeah. Calls. Um, yeah. So why do you think that he he gave well, it's interesting. It, it's interesting that, you know, he says it at that time because, you know, he never really wanted to admit that Tyrion was his son. You know, he he wanted to prove that he was not his son. But um, I it I think what what if one of the reasons that Tywin hated Tyrion so much wasn't that, you know, he was this dwarf or he might not have been his son, but it was just because he couldn't control him. Um, you know, he had control over Jamie. Jamie was going to do whatever his dad told him. Cersei was going to do whatever Tywin told him because she was a woman and she still had a lot to learn. This is season one Cersei, right? This isn't season seven Cersei. This is, um, exactly. you know, somebody who is still trying to get her father's acceptance and be queen and make sure that her son is going to be the legitimate king, even though she knows it's wrong, right? So she's still kind of in panic mode. So she desperately wants her father's, you know, approval um, and acceptance. So she's more controllable, her and Jamie. But Tyrion's kind of a wild card, right? Absolutely. He's smart. He's cunning. He likes his whores. He'll get he doesn't married. listen to his. Yeah. So he doesn't. <laughs> he he doesn't listen. Um, we get that this episode too, when he decides to take Shay to the uh, to King's Landing with him. Right. 
And so I guess my my thought is that, you know, Tywin's just like, okay, well, clearly I've been wrong about you. So let's see what you do with this. I mean, we've already got a crazy person at King's Landing sitting on the throne. So what <laughs> what more can happen at this point? Yeah, I think, I think that when they were sitting there and, and Tyrion broke that glass and just had a crystal clear view of the situation, T- Tywin realized that Tyrion was the only other, other person in the room who understood what the fuck was happening, basically to the same degree that he did. And right. I think that um, gave him a little bit of respect for, uh, for Tyrion. Um, I like the, the line where he said, I used to think you were a stunted fool. You, know, you maybe, were half right. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe I was wrong, half wrong. <laughs> um, you know, I and this is also season two. Tyrion is just oh, I've got I love season two Tyrion. So yeah, it's just time. the beginning of a very wonderful Tyrion arc, right? Mm-hmm. So I get really, really excited <laughs> about Tyrion as Hand of the King. What about you, uh, Trav? What do you think? Um, I was just going to make a little note on. Um... When when Tyrion hit the cup and you know he said there's your piece and all of that kind of stuff, I got a little bit of a flashback to the scene where Cersei and Joffrey were talking, um, and she was talking to him about like what he would do about the Northerners. Um, oh so, right, yeah, it was just kind of like this little like nod, and then here he does like this crazy thing, even though his mom a couple I think it was like a few episodes oh, ago yeah. just, right. said, just said like, what would you do about this? And how would He's you like, I'd raise their taxes and send in the Bannermen if they decide to rebel. Like, <laughs> or I'll like, just chop off the Warden of the North's head and see what happens. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. crazy man. It just, it just kind of shows that he doesn't really think the long-term things out very much, you know, it's just kind of in the moment, you know, he's kind of just like, I'll just do this, you know? Yeah. He's a cliff but, jumper like Jamie. Yeah. Just in a, in a sociopathic sadistic <laughs> type of way, <laughs> as opposed to being an adrenaline junkie. Exactly. That's funny as hell. Really. That was a good callback to the, a couple episodes ago with that Absolutely, conversation yeah. between, uh, yeah, yeah, Cersei and Joffrey. Were you going to say something, Kristen? No, I was, I just said, yay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Anything else for your number two? No, that was it. All right. My number two um, is... Wait. Yeah, because we I did... I went second. Okay, my number two is the, <laughs> the king in the north. The Yay! new king in the north. I love yeah, that that's scene. That's my number one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we I can hope you brought backups, here. buddy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love... I think it's great. Um who is it? Somebody, one of these guys saying the proper course is clear. We need to pledge fealty to Lord Renly and join our forces with his. And everybody's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Rob's like, Renly. Ren- Renly's not king. Uh, Stannis would be king first. Bran can't be Lord of Winterfell before me. So he's not down. He's like Ned. He's just like, he's just not the king, basically. And then um, the great John stands up and goes through his whole monologue about you know why? Why should we care about these southern kings and their flowery kingdoms and their flowery holdfasts? Uh, why shouldn't we rule ourselves again? It was the dragons we bowed to, and all the dragons are dead. The, there sits the only king I mean to bend my knee to, the king of the north. You know, <laughs> and and Rob sort of steps up, like stands up, and look, he's looking at him like, "Whoa, this is fucking happening!" And like steps into that role in that moment, and everybody else pulls out their swords and starts chanting. And what do you want to say about about it, Travis? <laughs> um. Okay. Well, I really liked Theon's quote there because he asks, um, "He's like, am I your brother now and always?" And then Rob is like, 
now and always. And then he just, hey. like, draws a sword, and he's just, like, the king of the Kneels world. with it. Yeah. Oh. My sword is yours, and victory or defeat from this day until my last day. Bullshit, Theon! Yeah. You fucking liar! episodes. <laughs> <laughs> or until my daddy tells me that I can't be king, and I say, watch me. Hold my beard. <laughs> yeah. My sword is yours, and victory or defeat from this day until the third episode of season two. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> what a prick. You get three episodes of my loyalty. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious, man. Um... Yeah, so I, I mean, are you you're asking me kind of what my number one was since we're kind of on the same boat? Here? Yeah, yeah. Just let's just combine your number two and my number, or your number one and my number two. Yeah, um, mine was actually <laughs> John. <laughs> I just got that. Damn, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm such a child. <laughs> I heard I heard the laugh and I was like, wait. He what? said number two. <laughs> Bread makes um, me poop. <laughs> okay, it's late. Mine. Sorry. <laughs> Was uh, John and Rob mirror coronations? Oh uh, yeah, it's a. I don't don't know if you guys ever caught this, but it's like a it's a mirror image to John's coronation. Mm -hmm. Totally, the whole speech, like it's. I mean, it's almost down quote like it's almost word for word. Second Um, time's a charm, right? Yeah, and but (laughs) here's the. Yeah, I actually. Yeah, I don't know. I like John's more. Because the the production theories improved over time, um, and I felt that this coronation scene was just like, yeah, King in the North, yeah, King in the North. I mean, it was it was climatic at the time, the first time I watched it. Um, but now that I'm you know on this rewatch, it's 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 a little toned down compared to Jon Snow's in the end of season six, like. We got like all this like epic music, and then you got Lyanna Mormont's badass speech. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, just, the I, production values have gone up, and they also didn't get Lyanna Mormont until like season yeah, six or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe if Mormont. Well, I mean, her mom technically was with Rob, right? So I mean, she could have had a speech. Mm-hmm. Had a speech. Yes, is awesome. it Daisy? Is that her mom? <laughs> I can't remember what her mom's name is. I just know that she Mage or yeah, something like yeah, that. Mage. She fought and died. Or Rob Stark, you mm-hmm. know, in the whole, and she's the one that escaped the Red Wedding. Is that correct? Um, at least in the books. In the books, I think I do. Isn't her whereabouts like unknown? Yeah, in but in the show, like Lyanna and whatever season, she says that you know she she died um, with Rob. I think at the Red Wedding. Oh uh, man, yeah, we know that Daisy Mormont died with Rob at the Red Wedding. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Um, Edit. I researched into this a little bit after we recorded and discovered that, yes, on the TV show, Mage Mormont is Liana's mother, and she died um, fighting during the War of Five Kings for Rob Stark. In the books, Daisy, who is Mage's heir, is killed at the Red Wedding, and Mage separates from Rob's host when they arrive to Hag's Mire on the way to the wedding. Um, she and Galbert Glover are ordered by Rob to travel to Seaguard, there, they're to take separate ships from Lord Jason Malister to sail up the Neck and to search for Greywater Watch as envoys to the Kranigmen in preparations for um, Rob's planned attack on Ironborn-occupied Moat Kalen. And also, they uh, may potentially be transferring information about John being the uh, legal heir to the kingship in the north, um, part of the Grand Northern Conspiracy Theory. Well, you know, Try, I, I don't mean to step on you real no, quick, no, but um, I, I, I think also the reason why John's 
coronation was um, so much better. I mean, the production value was way better. I totally agree on that. But I think also because John clawed his way to the position that he was in. He he was killed by his own people. And then all of a sudden he was being, you know, proclaimed the king in the north as a bastard you know with <laughs> yeah. with the most badass people in the seven kingdoms he just and the wild his ancestral home you know like where he grew up it, where and he did it up. without without even asking for it without even you know so it was you were with him on that you know we didn't know rob stark i think as well as we know Jon Snow. Oh, definitely. Yeah, we have seven seasons of growth and development. Yeah, and, it was... And self-actualization. Yeah, so that, that was just my thought. Yeah, and I I really like the Manderleys, too, so I don't know. <laughs> the Manderleys? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Wyman. Yeah, when, I love when that, Wyman. When that, first, when that first scene hit, um, when I was watching that, did, we didn't have a name or anything. Like I, I don't remember who I was watching it with. I was watching it with a couple of other people. And I was like, "That's Wyman. That's Wyman right there." Because <laughs> you know, being a book reader, I was just like, "Ah, he's right there." <laughs> um, oh man, he's so fat in the books. Oh my god! But his, <laughs> is it, is he the one they call Lord Too Fat to Sit a Horse? Yeah, yeah. But his his whole speech <laughs> about what he did when he like the fray pies and just oh oh yeah, <laughs> read the books. <laughs> also. The stakes are so high when when John is proclaimed king of the north. I mean, the stakes are really high here as well, with Ned having just been been killed and the the kingdoms in uproar. But the with the 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 threat of the White Walkers coming south later on, and seven seasons of people being killed off and war like really starting to build as Danny is heading west and everything. It just seems like so much is happening. Um, it really makes that scene powerful. And plus, like the just, I'm not even kidding. Like having Lady Liana Mormont there just makes it so crazy, exactly. you know. Well, not to mention the huge revelation at the end. Yeah, yeah. During that proclamation. Oh right, yeah, of of John's true heritage. Right. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the in the season seven one, it uh, or season sorry season six, we get that flashback of baby John face and then it just instantly pans to adult John in Winterfell right yeah. before the scene and, and you're that's just like oh right oh my gosh <laughs> we get two for one with right. that one yeah <laughs> yeah that's crazy do you think that um Rob's coronation would have been more climatic if that had happened let's say in a theoretical um Game of Thrones universe where he I don't know saved Ned or just took back some other place like king's landing or something and then was uh crowned you know king in the north do you think that would have been a i i don't think he would be crowned king in the north if he saved ned because then ned would be like oh yeah that's a good point that's a good point yeah i just meant in general (laughs) but um, rather than just on the road after his dad died (laughs) yeah i'm yeah i don't know I, i i think it's still pretty impactful the way it was but um i mean it's entirely possible too that you know you could conquer and become king while your Lord father is still the Lord, you know, so that wouldn't rule it out either. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Anything else you guys want to say about this scene? I mean, it had to happen. I mean, he, you know, that's the only way the story would have progressed is, you know, I mean, I mean, in regards to the North becoming their own entity again after so long. So, I I mean, yeah, with him or with Ned dying, 
that was, you know, kind of a, a push forward. Like we got to get this, the North ball ballpark rolling over here. Yeah. I agree with the great John sentiment that, um, it was the dragons they bowed to, yeah. you know, what the fuck is keeping them under this like, being subservient to the, the crown at this point? <laughs> like what's up with that? Another nod. The North back. is as big as the seven kingdoms. Like the other six kingdoms combined, you know, they're their own kingdom up there. They, there's no reason for them to be, um, playing second fiddle to King's Landing. Which relates back to Joffrey and Cersei again, you know, talking about what they do about it because it's such a big right. area. <laughs> yeah, like what can you even do, really? Yeah. So what about your number two, Trav? Oh, that was... Or actually, since we combined, uh, yeah. since we used your number one, we'll just say that was your number two and we'll go to Kristen's number one. Okay. And then we'll, uh, yeah. So what's your number one, Kristen? Um. Okay, well, I have a feeling that we have we all have the same thing um <laughs> for, for our last one i i could be wrong though mine is daenerys dragons the pyre everything culminating <laughs> yeah ba- basically i have dragons death unburnt that's i mean just in like all caps <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like taking up half my page <laughs> such a powerful scene um, it is um you know daenerys's whole I mean, it, I feel like she goes through an entire lifetime just in this one episode. Um, you know, she's she's lost a child. She's lost her husband. Then she has to lose her husband again. Um, you know, she, and she has to kill him. And, and then she has to burn him, oh, you know, and that um, and then she, it, it, this uh, Miri Ma's door woman, who I'm sure we'll talk about at length later. Mm-hmm. Um and her prophecy, um, you know, just everything that's culminating into this moment where Daenerys has decided I'm going to take control of my life and I'm going to step into this role that I think that I'm, I'm supposed to have. She knows just like, she just knows what she's supposed to do, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Right. She knows she's not going to die. She knows that she has to put the the, the eggs in the fire. She knows that, you know, only death can pay for life. And, um, you know, so we've got Drogo, we've got, um, Miri Mazdor, and then we've got Daenerys, right. Who is going to basically be reborn in this fire. Right. Essentially, uh, sacrificing her own life. Right. Um, And at the end of it, you get all these, all the remnants of, of the, of the Kalasar who, you know, most of them are gone and you've got all the weak people, a few blood riders and the women and children. And they see this girl, this white girl who's just sitting in the middle of these, of these burning embers after everything's been gone away and there's three motherfucking dragons oh my gosh <laughs> she's white girl wasted i wrote oh jorah's reactions to the dragons in my notes i was just like he looks so right puzzled and confused and like what the hell is going on just <laughs> awestruck because right? just a couple episodes ago we learned that jorah didn't believe the dragons ever even existed exactly right he thought they were propaganda so when he sees her crouching covered in ashes unburnt with three dragons, <laughs> he's like, "What the fuck is just is reality?" Just I would be like, "What is, what di- is like tea did this lady give me earlier?" Because I'm not sure if what I'm seeing is right. <laughs> I think someone's high. I don't know what's going on. I honestly, it was it, it's one of the best moments 
in the entire series is yeah. is when she, when those dragons crawl up you know from behind um you know drogon is on her shoulder and stretching his wings out oh my gosh seeing <laughs> drogon i just get so excited all the time i'm like drogon yeah vicaris um dracaris um <laughs> so you know but i don't know that i mean just the excitement of that moment and just knowing that I don't know that it was when I read the books because my um, we in our house, we would read the book and then we would watch the season. So it took us a lot longer to get through the series because Uh of that. And um, and so when I read it the first time, I remember I was just exhilarated that it had happened. Right. And then but then I got to see it, you know, and and I thought that they did. The producers did did this moment so much justice and it was just perfectly done. And um, I, I was so sad to see Drogo go. I, I was really hoping that he was going to live. I don't know how, but I was hoping like somehow he was going to wake up in the fire. I, I don't know how. Right. But I was really, really like, clutching onto it in vain. Um, so anyway, the only way that his presence, that his essence, ferocity could possibly be replaced is with three dragons. Though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a trade-off. Maybe it takes one Drogo to make three dragons, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we don't got any more Drogos, so that's why we don't have any more dragons. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, so so anyways, that's, that's my number one, two, three, four, five dragons. Dragons. Beautiful. Um, I like how... It, that it ends the season with the same way it ends the books. There's a really powerful line at the end of the books, too. I can't remember exactly oh, how I've it is, the but I'll paraphrase it. Oh, yeah? You want to read the last line of the I entire will. book? Let me go to the chapter. Bum, bum, bum. The last sentence. I had it up, I had it up for Ma, um, Miri, Miri Maz. Maz Miri. Oh, Ma, Miri Mazdur. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Meiji. Burn the witch. Meiji. As Daenerys Targaryen rose to her feet, her black hissed, pale smoke venting from its mouth and nostrils. The other two pulled away from her breasts and added their voices to the call, translucent wings unfolding and stirring the air. And for the first time in hundreds of years, the night came alive with the music of dragons. Yes. Yeah. Love that line. I felt like they nailed the uh, emotion of it. With the finishing shot <laughs> as the dragons screech for the first time. And that closing scene, that's that they do that a couple more times throughout the, the seasons, don't they? There's um Yeah, they yeah, always totally. end it either with dragons or uh White Walkers. Yeah. Or yeah. both. <laughs> yeah. Or both. <laughs> <laughs> like the season seven. Um Whoa, man. Oh that's man. Funny. So much cool stuff with this um the uh, I like the leading leading up to her stepping into the pyre too. It starts the scene with with Jorah, who's like Khaleesi. I know what you plan on doing. You know I can't sit by and do nothing and watch you climb onto the pyre with him. Um, I can't see you burn yourself alive. And she's like, "Is that what you fear?" <laughs> you know, it kind of has like a little like laugh where like she knows something silly he human. doesn't know. <laughs> what silly human? Yeah, silly human. Um, and then his reaction, obviously, he he lets her go into the fire and she slowly walks in, which is just so creepy and beautiful. And uh, as her dress is sort of billowing in the 
breeze like being licked by the flames from all sides and you can see the fire like just covering Mary Mazdur who's just screaming and screaming and then um the next morning you know you, you hear the the cracking of the embers and whatnot and Jorah followed by the remaining blood riders or whoever they are these two Dothraki guys are sort of you know hastily making his way to the center nervous to for what he's going to find and when he sees the dragons he drops to his knees and just utters what does he say blood of my blood you know Mm -hmm. just like what the fuck and everybody just drops you know one thing i didn't really notice a couple i've seen you know i've watched this like four times now but uh you know, this time watching it, I was kind of watching all the people as they approached out, or as Jorah and uh, the Blood Rider, uh, what was his name? Uh, oh man, I'm spacing. Mago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, as they were walking out, every time they'd pass someone, people were like waking up. And oh. uh, so I'm like, and some of them were already awake. And so it, it was kind of like in the back of my head, I'm like, they they weren't that far away from her, and there was nothing blocking. So how long was yeah. she just crouched in like a ball position before somebody like approached her? <laughs> like, yeah, maybe she was like in a trance or something. Yeah, yeah. It was just it was just kind of something weird that I was thinking about. I'm like, has she just yeah. been kind of hanging out all night and nobody dared go over there? <laughs> yeah, I guess just totally focused on the dragons. Yeah, not even, probably not even paying attention to anything else around her. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's wild, man. Um, and how about that scene where she bathes Drogo and smothers him? Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> this is like the most brutally sad scene ever. <laughs> I'd like and to... that's taken straight out of the books, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, almost word for word. I kind of, um, when I see scenes like this, um, I, I kind of like picture how they tell the actors. Like, how okay, they're like, okay, in this scene, she's going to put a <laughs> pillow on your head. And every once in a while, we needed to jerk your body a couple of times, <laughs> like just yeah, just death scenes in general. I always think about how the actors like are um, pulling it off, you know. Yeah, in this one particularly too, his like it's his like his soul is so far gone that his body isn't even reacting like to pre- for self preservation purposes. His arm just mm-hmm. kind of twitches a little bit, doesn't even rise up to try to prevent it from happening at all. Mm, right, he's just useless, uh, which is horrifying. Just. The concept of you know, <laughs> she she lost her her son and her son and stars like all at once. You know they they say that every time a Targaryen is born, it's like flipping a coin, a fifty fifty shot between greatness and madness, essentially. Mm. And we're so fucking lucky that this didn't drive Danny to the dark side, having everything she cares about stripped from her. She could have you know birthed the dragons and gone criminally insane and just wasted everybody <laughs> yeah. well thankfully Viserys um treated her like such garbage that you know i think they probably grounded her into a human being mm. yeah where she just doesn't want to treat people that way because she knows mm-hmm. how it feels there's a and you know she does have some crazy in her i was just about to say sure. there's a lot of theories out there that are you know people are speculating whether or not that she's actually a bad guy <laughs> I don't think so. I think she's a good guy. In Cersei's story, she is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. From Cersei's POV. But Cersei's a crazy bitch, so. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh, man. Yeah, the monologue she goes through. 
um, saying, you know, you've always been a fighter. I needed to fight now. Do you remember our first ride, etc.? Um, and he just no reaction from Drogo. He's so far gone. Um, she sort of repeats to him what Miri Mazdur said. Um, when the sun rises in the west and sets in the east, then you shall return to me, my sun and stars, before she just totally just <laughs> suffocates his bitch ass. While we're on the uh, the mark of, or the talking about Drogo, not the mark, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I kind of wrote down in my notes that Miri makes Drogo into how she felt. Um, oh, yeah. And it's kind of like, I mean, she went into this whole speech about how Danny didn't actually save her and how she's like hollow inside and like, you know. So it kind of makes me think that Drogo's end result is kind of how Miri felt on the inside. Yeah, tell me exactly again what it is you think you saved, Danny, you know, and she's mm-hmm. like, your life. And she's like, well, take a look at your cow, bitch, because uh, then you'll see exactly what life is worth when all the rest has gone. You know, she's stepping through piles of heads in this in the, the road of people who she's healed over the past couple moon cycles, mm-hmm. you know, just wasted time, wasted life. And uh, yeah, she definitely like, makes up for it. <laughs> she gets revenge for those people. Exactly. You know, so as much as we hate Mary Mazdur, she definitely deserves some credit for <laughs> avenging the deaths of her innocent, uh, you know, sheep, lamb men and whatnot. <laughs> I, it's funny too, also, when um, Danny's given her monologue at the end. And she says, um, you'll hear the people that have wronged you scream, you know, and Mary says, you will not hear me scream. (laughs) I will. (laughs) But it's not your screams I want, only your life. And in the books, Mary kind of like freaks out a little bit when she says that and realizes what Danny's planning, I think. But they um, she kind of like says it to herself on the TV show, and I don't think Miri hears her at all. But wow, Miri Mazdur has some pretty convincing screams in this scene, huh? Yeah. It's 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 out there, <laughs> like, kind of screaming, and after she just said that she wasn't going to. Like, right, pretty blood, like, bone-chilling uh, screaming. I think the actress did a really good job. You know, She had to have known that that's how it was going to end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, they probably, I'm sure they had whoever they were casting for the parts, um, you know, have her have her scream and see how it sounds. I'm sure they they made sure she could scream <laughs> like, Here, well put before this, put her stunt double in there, and we'll just put use actual fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty make it, make it realistic. We <laughs> um, gonna say something, Kristen? No, no, I um no, I I do want to talk about Miri Ma's door, but now is not the time. Oh, okay, <laughs> I know that that I know that she comes up a lot in the listener feedback. So mm, okay. okay, so we'll talk more about it then. Anything else you want to say about this part, uh, Travis? Um, I I think I'm good on that. Is was that your number one as well, or your number two technically, or do you have another uh, point to talk about? M- well, my number two was the uh, the three eyed raven and the cryptic dreams, but we kind of already covered that part. All right. Um, any notes you guys want to discuss? oh yeah did you have a did you what was your number one duncan oh mine was uh the drogo pyre and whatnot as well okay we had the same one yeah (laughs) we all have the same one i have quite a few notes how about you travis i have i i made a lot of notes yeah (laughs) so we got um um did anybody else mark down that um 
Where did it go? Sorry, people, I have a lot of notes. Um... Oh, here it is. Sorry. <laughs> um, Varys calls out Littlefinger on visioning himself on the throne. Yes. I have Varys. I have Varys and um, Littlefinger as well. Yay. Yeah, that yes. was my four. <laughs> Just in case. Yeah. Just in case. That was, yeah, that was my honorable mention. That was, yeah, that yeah. was my, my, my next one now. <laughs> I have got, I called um, it the Fifty Shades of Varys and Littlefinger. <laughs> nice. I said Varys and Baelish's intellects dance in front of the Iron Throne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, it's it's just such a blatant truth, you know, from all of these, like, throughout the whole entire season, we don't really know um, what their endgame is, because like you said in last week's episode, or last week's podcast episode, um, when you and Jason were talking, they don't really have point of views um, right. in, the bo- in the books and stuff that Martin wrote. Yeah, no point of view chapters. So hearing Varys, you know, just kind of call Littlefinger out on the spot like that about visioning himself on the throne, you're like, that's, that's like, that, that stays true throughout the whole entire series. That little, that's what Littlefinger is once. And he mentions it a few right. times as well. Oh yeah. So. We really do learn a lot about these characters in this moment too. It's so funny. Um, Varys is like, when do you, when you see yourself on the throne, you know, what do you look like? Does the crown fit? Do all the people who wronged you over the years simper and bow? <laughs> it's hard for them to simper and bow without heads. <laughs> God damn, dude, just be, be right up front about that. I feel um, like Varys and Littlefinger could just have their own little, like, mini sitcom show. <laughs> yeah. Just their, their, yeah. all their meetings, you know. <laughs> These scenes with them in front of the Iron Throne, I feel like they're like... Um, like figure skaters or something like dancing with each other literally <laughs> so funny um and we learn again Varys says i must be one of the few men in this city who doesn't want to be king uh, and i believe is, it yeah right. which is yeah, totally consistent I and i love baelish's yeah. re- his uh, reply to that you must be one of the few men in this city who isn't a man <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and he's like you can do better than that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When they castrated you, did they take the pillar with the stones? I've always wondered. <laughs> How much time do you spend thinking about what's in between my legs? Um, I picture a gash. <laughs> don't you think it's Don't you think it's funny that um, Varys and Littlefinger they they have these different facades for whatever um, situation they're in, right? And Both playing their roles, like they're says, like. Yeah. They each know that they're lying to each other as they speak to each other. And they have this, like, mutual, like, disdainful respect for each other. In this scene, Baelish says, I admire you. Like, just out of nowhere. at the same time, they had each other's backs because, which Littlefinger never does. And Littlefinger was like, look, here comes the small council. Yay, long live the king, you know? So they, they were able to kind of turn it turn the conversation on a dime and then right. go, swoop into their small council um facade right so it's just it's just so fun to watch them kind of be a different version of themselves depending on who they're around and then you get both of them together alone and they're like oh you're a fucking liar yeah so are you cool all right well why don't we lie to each other and <laughs> yeah. we'll just sit there you know yeah you're and, a fucking and we know liar. we're lying so to each I. other so that's fine <laughs> yeah they're like it's pretty cool actually <laughs> uh yeah baelish says he admires him and then um Varys responds i and i admire you lord baelish and 
Peter says, so here we stand in mutual admiration and respect. It's so weird, man. They have such a bizarre dynamic. And like you said, they never kind of like ruin each other per se. They, I think they'd know that the machinations of each other are more helpful to each other overall than they are hindering um, at this point. So they're not making any moves against each other. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It's like playing a game of risk or chess with someone that you um, you have mutual respect for. Right. Like, have you ever played a game of chess or risk or whatever? Um, yeah, with... but I'm really bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you could play either one of those characters against one of the on one of those games, who would it be? No, neither. Neither. <laughs> no, I'm really bad at chess. I'd man. probably want to play. <laughs> I'd rather play various. I think I'd have a better chance against various. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, Peter I'm really seems really good at chess. Good at chess. Risk, so. <laughs> nice. I've never played Risk, but um, oh, I've man. played a lot of chess. My friend, uh, my best friend up in Canada, this dude Don, is building, he's like machining a custom chess board. Actually, two of them, one for each of us, so he can play long distance. Uh, so I'm nice. looking forward to that. That'll be cool. Well, if you ever come to Portland, I have Game of Thrones Risk. So <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah. Any other notes you guys want to talk about? Can we talk about Serio for a second? Yes. No. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I just want to say one one thing about Sirio. So when Joffrey and Sansa were out there on the on uh, the platform or whatever, and he's like, "There's your Septa, and there's your dad, and blah blah blah." Sirio's head isn't there. That's and right. I, you know, I think that that's kind of worth noting, only because. If he was taunting her this bad, he would be like, and there's your sister's dancing instructor, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he stood up against us. Um, same so, with Mordain and Ned. Yeah, he he should have been right up there with them. Yeah. So I, I, I would just like to add to the thought that Sirio is not dead and that he is Jack and Hagar. Delusions! Yeah, that's fine. And <laughs> no, then when I'm right, you guys can be like, okay, you're right. <laughs> I, I hope Sirius alive. Yeah. Like, yeah, that'd be awesome. I, I wrote that'd in definitely... quotation marks, or maybe he will give me yours when talking about <laughs> uh, Right, that was, was so just, awesome. It was, just like, it was just like a verbal backslap, like right there. Like, oh, like just, you know, talking about Rob and you, knowing what becomes of Rob kind of sad <laughs> um, uh joffrey's so disgusting on so many levels uh yeah that point after i raise my armies and kill your traitor brother i'm going to give you his head as well <laughs> or maybe he'll give me yours and he kind of like freaks out oh man she almost pushes him off the bridge and in the books Ugh. that that scene is a little bit um more climatic i i at least i felt too i don't want to go too far into the book talk but um, that scene with Sansa, whenever I watch it, like in person, I just remember her point of view and she's like, you know, mulling it over in her head. Like I could do it. I can easily, yeah. it's, it's just like, they'll kill feet, me too, but five feet, I, they'd kill me too, but it'd, it'd be worth it. You know, like she's yeah. just mulling over this whole scenario in her head. And then the, um, the hound just puts his hand on her and yeah. Yeah. Stops her. That's interesting that you say that because now when you think about it, because as, as you're talking about that, I'm realizing each one of these Stark kids did something super rash. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, super rash. Um, you know, Sansa was stopped by the sanity that was the Hound. Um, but yeah, saving her I life mean, yet again. Gotta love that guy, man. Me too. Maybe uh, that's the first time he saved her life, actually. <laughs> 
Did anybody else uh, make a note on Pycelle? Yeah, I did. Because I've watched the scene so many times, and I still have no idea what's up with this dude. Like, his whole true greatness quote, and then all of a sudden when she leaves, he's all, like, limber and doing jumping jacks. And <laughs> yeah, he, like, it's weird. He he reveals his limberness right after mentoring, mentioning how people often don't see the enemies that are right beside them. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that meant that he may have had some sort of hidden intention, but he's so freaking old. Like, you'd think he would have made his move by that point. Okay, but who did he serve? He served. He seemed to hate everybody. Yeah, he served the Mad King. He may have served the King. No, no, before I mean, who King. was his loyalty to? Oh, I think at this point, his ho- his loyalty's been to uh, House Targaryen. I mean, uh, sorry, House Lannister. He's like pretty yeah. loyal to Cersei. I don't know. He ha- he hated her. Yeah, but I think at, when at the end. Yeah, when, at what a point? really weird character. I mean, at at every small council meeting, he would you know when uh, the. When it was uh, Tywin and um, Elena oh, and, right. and all of them, like he would just sit there and he would just look so smug and happy that she was ousted. So it was just, I could never understand what his end game was. Like, who who do you serve? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like he was loyal to Lannister House when Tywin was in charge for sure. And at one point, I seem to remember him begging for his life, saying, like, I've always been loyal to Lannister, House Lannister, <laughs> you know, or something. But So maybe it was he was Tywin's spy. Maybe. Mm. Mm, that's a good, See, good thought. The whole the whole limberness thing uh, reminded me of uh, kind of like Melisandre with the, the glamour. Um, yeah, the old age thing? Yeah, like, it's just, I don't know if it was just a, like a, if it was magic or if he was just acting or, you know. Just, it's one of the things that's like to this day it still confuses me whenever I see yeah. that scene. I'm like, he's I have definitely, mm-hmm. he's definitely like playing a character, almost mm-hmm. like Varys does with his disguises and whatnot. Um, but how, how about Roz in that scene? She's just like so over it. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> having to be that guy's whore. No, thank you. Uh, he he did a pretty interesting speech though. Like the amount of stuff he was covering. If you're not really paying attention to what the hell he's talking about. But yeah, you know, he like, talks all about the, a lot. Yeah, if you know like all the back history and all that kind of stuff, you're like, whoa, how does, how does this this guy has a lot of information? <laughs> Watching Ares melt away before his eyes, consumed by dreams of fire and blood and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And he starts off saying, the thing about kings you need to know is... <laughs> never <laughs> yeah, he never gets her out of the point, so she's like, and so what's the thing? <laughs> <You know? laughs> He's like, what, what, what thing? The thing about kings, you know, you started saying, oh, I can't hear you. <laughs> Fuck it. I'm out of here. Don't bother getting up. <laughs> Hilarious. Don't even pay me. I'll get you later. I got to go. Yeah. <laughs> Roz is a funny character. Too um, bad uh, she meets her end with Joffrey. Yeah. God, I hate that guy. We got our first time today in a while with Joffrey being a douchebag. I feel like he hasn't oh. really been major in the past couple episodes. Oh, yeah, because he ripped out that guy's tongue, too. That was my note. I said uh, Joff's smug, uh, or Joff is smug towards the singer and tongue punishment. <laughs> right. And, he's, yeah, he's looking super smug at a couple points um, in this episode. And then, yeah, I remember Miri Ma's door looked really smug when she told Danny that... Um, 
Drogo would not be normal until like when she gives her little cryptic monologue about the sun and the east and the west and the mountains blowing in the leaves and like wind and the leaves or whatever. Um, mm. She looks super smug there too. Um, but how about how about the baby? Um, Danny's baby it said it was monstrous, twisted, scaled like a lizard with leather wings, like the wings of a bat. When she touched him, the skin fell from his bones and he was full of gray worms. It's fucking gnarly. Was she the only one who saw that? Or did I don't did, know. Because I, I wanted to see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And if as she was the only one, the witch was the only one who saw it, who knows if that was even real as well. Like, <laughs> yeah, she could have she could have Caprica sixed that little kid. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Are you going to say something, Kristen? Mm-mm. Um, um, any other notes you guys want to discuss? I How like, about uh, Jamie? I was just I was just about to say I like when he got hit in the head with a rock. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. He's given Cat instructions on how to kill him. Mm-hmm. Another blow again, you know, right above the temple, and just repeat a few times. You're stronger than you look. You know, it wouldn't take that long. Um, no he admits to like killing him. Bran or trying to kill Bran, which is crazy. But not why. Right, which yeah. is funny. Because the um, scene gets cut right then and there. Well, he uh, he he declines to answer her and just tells mm-hmm. uh, tell her oh, she yeah. should get some sleep. Um, and she sort of like storms off and then it he's sort of sitting there contemplating and the scene cuts. But yeah, really interesting. He so willingly and brazenly admits to pushing Bran from the window because he hoped the fall would kill him. And then he won't say why, which is so funny. Um, how about Lancel doing Jamie's job? Gross. <laughs> and and not because of the incest thing, because I understand that that's like a part of this world. It's because Lancel is gross. <laughs> I can't believe it. Whoa. Was it this exciting when you were young? Oh, my when gosh, When I was young. Thanks, Lancel. Douche. You know, you don't say that shit. You know, he's one of the characters that um, I guess I didn't notice for a little while that it was the same actor. Same actor, cousin, right. Same well, he dude. looks so drastically <laughs> different. Yeah. Um, looks so different. Oh, another totally douchebaggy moment for Joffrey is when they're walking towards the the bridge with the, the, the pikes mm-hmm. with the skulls, the heads, and he says, as soon as, you, as soon as you've had your blood, I'll plant a son in you. <laughs> Mother says Ugh. it shouldn't be long. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and um, on the spike where um, where Sirio Farrell's head should have been, <laughs> do you know uh, <laughs> you know whose head was there? Uh, George W. Bush's head. Yeah, wig. they got yeah they got a uh, got flack for having a, a W head up on there. Just fucking Did they really? hilarious. Yeah, yeah, Weiss and Benioff were adamant that that was not like a vindictive thing that they did. It's just what one of this head that they had lying around apparently, right? I right exactly. Just so happens we have this uh, George W. Bush head lying around. Yeah, it's funny. He's kind of facing the other direction. What? I I was just wondering. I'm like, I wonder if he ever found out about that, like that it was his head up there. (laughs) Maybe George W. (laughs) Bush is a faceless man. Ooh, maybe. (laughs) Ooh, that's terrifying. (laughs) Well, I'll just just let you guys sit on that. (laughs) Oh man. I do. Um, I did uh, have a little note right here about Gendry. Um, you know, he was very quickly handed to the watch. Yeah. Um, mm, yeah. So I think he was being hidden away, protected. Yeah, and we know that next season Joffrey's having the bastards executed. That that blacksmith that he was an apprentice for had to know 
had to know more than he let on. I mean, just to be immediately sent to the watch. Yeah. It's just an interesting development. And having both hands of the king come and ask questions and Ned saying, if this boy ever needs anything, like, let me know. Like, he can right. join me. Yeah, he's got it. He's, he has to know something is up with Gendry. No question. Um, I mean, how did how did the hand even um, John Aaron? How did he even track him there in the first place? Obviously, the bastard was dropped there somehow. There's some sort of trail, which means mm-hmm. that he's you know this this armorer has to know something. He's not a total idiot. I'm sure he figured it out he, if he didn't. He's know being already. trusted with some sensitive information. Yeah, yeah. sensitive material <laughs> <laughs> and information. Um, yeah, how about Shay the funny whore? I'm just Shay the funny whore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm having a little oh, bit of flash, but I just listened to um, last week's podcast with uh, you and Jason um, today. Oh, was nice. At, while I was at work. So, like, it's, like, still, like, I'm like, wait, what episode? We're on episode 10, right? But, uh, yeah. but, but I watched episode 10 after, you know, I've on been watching Sunday or something. with you guys. And then... You know, I watched episode 10, but then today I listened to a podcast about episode 9, and then now I'm just kind of <laughs> bouncing all over the place. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. Um, so that that pretty much wraps up the top five, right? Anything else you guys want to say before we move on? No, I'm good. I think I'm good, too, yeah. All right. We've got a little bonus section, a couple of bonus sections here. First, we're going to talk about our favorite and least favorite deaths of the season, um, Kristen, how about you start? What was your favorite death this season? My favorite death was when Drogo killed Ma- uh, Mago. Oh, all right. Yeah, that's pretty awesome with the, th- the tongue ripping out through the throat. And he just told him, I'm not going to burn your body. I'm not going to do anything. You're not going right. to get any honors. The I'm just going to kill you, dude. You. <laughs> yeah, he sort of like, um, he does the Colombian necktie 2.0 where he just like pulls the tie right off. It was- <laughs> So awesome. Super awesome. my favorite death. Yeah, that's great. How about you, Trav? What's your favorite? Uh, my favorite was Viserys. The, yeah, that's what I had for my favorite, the too. crown of gold. Um, yep. It's just, it's, it was like one of the first memories of this show. Because, I mean, you know, I started it many years ago. But uh, it was one of the things that always stuck out, like when I was first watching this show. And then he just got... This you know molten gold pulled over his head, poured over his head. And when I was watching so this, awesome. I was just like, "What the hell is this show about? Like, holy crap! Like <laughs> that yeah. dude just that dude just died by gold head. I guess I don't know <laughs> <laughs> by gold by gold yeah, head because crowns of gold thing, are never but cold. Apparently, I don't want to be on the other end of that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Fuck that. Right. Um, how about your least favorite death, Kristen? Mine was when my least favorite one was when Ned killed Lady. Oh, yeah. it was rough. Super rough. Yeah, that was really rough. It was that. Oh. It was that. Like right when Little it happened, and it then... just ripped my heart <laughs> right apart. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking brutal. I can't stand animals in pain. No, yeah. no, and especially when it was just needless and yeah, so unwarranted and cold. I mean, not Ned, right? right? I mean, he was doing it. He was doing it because Cersei he knew. was cold. Yeah, Cersei and Joffrey. I mean, ugh. Every time, yeah. Every time a dire wolf dies on this show, <clears throat> I I go outside and I hug my pups. I'm just like, no, good, no. <laughs> yeah, like, fuck like in season seven. Yeah, season seven, six, six. Yeah, when uh, summer went, mm. I was just like, 
Oh, man. Where are you, Gray? Oh, man. And then that happened, and at the end of the episode, I went outside, and I just, like, kind of crawled into the dog pen, and I was just like, I'm going to hang out with you guys for a little while. Okay. <laughs> that, that episode, just as a whole, was one to oh, make you yeah. be in the fetal position for a while, yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> Wait, are we talking about Game of Thrones still, or are we talking about Walking Dead from Sunday? No, 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 no. We're talking <laughs> I'm about, just kidding. We're talking about Game of Thrones, I know, right? Yeah. Um, how about you guys? Um, for the, your least favorite death my least favorite death was drogo Ooh. just because um that character had so much potential and i would have liked to have seen him uh rip out a few more tongues before he died you know or do some other crazy shit like that so it was just uh like a flame snuffed out too early um that mm-hmm. still was had a lot brighter to go before it stopped burning you know so that was disappointing but yes we did get some dragons out of the deal so yeah it ended up ends up being okay i guess what, <laughs> what about you travis mine was actually the same as yours um, <laughs> I, I wrote i so i actually wrote Sirio slash drogo um oh, okay. i was having a really really hard time pay, uh, putting down a least favorite um, Drogo, because after his, like, super badass speech in Dothraki, like, I just wanted him, I wanted him to make it, like, across the sea, um, like, that, that we see in Season 7, and just, like, in yeah. the battlefield. Like, I wanted to see him, like, in a real battlefield, like, a big, you know. Just, Imagine just that. Just going out, uh, you know, just going at it, just left and right, you know, fighting. Like, as hardcore just, as those oh, Dothraki man. already were without him, like standing on their saddles and shooting, yeah. or, like, jumping off their horses. Imagine what Drogo would do if he and was there. Was He's so... the craziest of all of them. That was some really good um, effect. Like that really made the, the loot train or loot crate train battle, whatever that battle was called. <laughs> the <laughs> loot train. Loot, loot train. I always say loot crate. Um, loot, loot <laughs> it's <train>. an old <laughs> habit. Battle. I oh, really man. when I first saw that, and they jumped up on the saddles, and I was like, "Oh damn, this is intense." So, and then Sirio, yeah. just because I I love Sirio, he's he's one of the characters that I wish and still wish. <laughs> yeah, um, hopefully we'll see, we'll see him again someday. That yeah. would I wish be he awesome. could have gone farther with. I mean, just imagine how much Arya's path would have been um, if he didn't go. You know. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like she would have been. Her her whole storyline could have been totally different. Totally. Well, say you could say the same for Danny too with Drogo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Danny no, never I, would yeah. have come into her own fully, probably, which would yeah. be really sad. Although and, they may have just come and taken over everything together. <laughs> yeah, the same goes for. Um, <clears throat> I was going to mention this earlier too. Um, if the brothers uh, like Sam and all of them didn't stop John and he made it back to like let's say Winterfell or wherever he was going. Um, to, find, <laughs> to find Rob, um, and then Rob's got to behead him. <laughs> his, uh, <laughs> his whole his whole story would have changed, and I, honestly, I don't think John would have made it. He would have been yeah, probably not. He would have been by Rob's side, and then he would have died at the Red Wedding, which would have sucked. <laughs> oh uh, man, that would have been brutal. Losing oh, Rob, and John I know at the it's Red really Wedding. depressing, but it's just it's just a you know everything in this series, every little moment is like there. For a mm-hmm. reason, like if you if you try to imagine it any other way, like these things could have just flipped completely, you know? Right? So, yeah, totally. All of these small little little things, like Sirio not dying, or you know, those brothers, um, John's brothers, um, not stopping him that that particular night, you know? 
Yeah, butterfly so, effect in so many different directions. Exactly, and then all of a sudden Ashton Kutcher's on Game of Thrones. So <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> oh man, it might still That'd happen. We've got one more season. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about uh, let's let's jump to our favorite moments of the season? What about you, Kristen? What's your favorite moment of season one? Dragons, man. Dragons. All right. Fuck yeah. Yeah, that's like the clincher that. Like, um, it's like when the magic is starts really in the show. You know what I mean? Yes. So fucking cool, man. Uh, <laughs> beautiful moment. That was like the clincher for me. Like, oh, I know I'm coming back. I mean, I already knew I was gonna. I wasn't gonna stop watching, but there's nothing that would stop me at that point. Yes. Yeah. What, what about, about you, Travis? Were you gonna say something, Kristen? I was gonna say, how about you, Travis? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was the baby direwolves finding them oh. and like just that you know each one got off or got a dire wolf out of it um and ghost kind of wandered off and then theon found uh, or yeah how that one went they heard john did john heard it. yeah yeah so I just, yeah, I just John like, may have heard it i think it was telepathic i don't think ghost ever made a noise yeah yeah because he it, never does it's quiet, you know. So yeah, but I, I just love that that scene where John is just picking up Ghost, and then you just yeah, right and there. He's got this look like, in his face. He's, yeah, he's got this look in his face, and then, <laughs> like this is the that moment. One's yours, that one's Snow. <laughs> like it's just a, it's just a bond that will last all the way until season five when we never get to see Ghost again, or season <laughs> six or whatever it is. <laughs> we'll but, see him uh, again. We will. We we hopefully will. He's been ghosted. Yeah. How about you, Duncan? My uh, favorite moment of the season, as fucked up as this sounds, was uh, Ned's death. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I but I could see that it. Was my favorite. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's horrible and painful and awful, but it's that moment that that elevated this show, I think, to the next level of of drama that had been. That surpassing every every other TV show in terms of um, thinking that people are safe, you know, everybody is at risk in Game of Thrones, and that moment more than anything for me, <laughs> like really t- took this show to the next level where I <laughs> I was no longer feeling comfortable <laughs> in, well, in any way. Yeah, well, I remember when I I don't know if I've ever said this before to you, but um, when I read the book for the first time, I, I I'll never forget. I was sitting up, I was in my bed, the lights were all on. I seriously like I remember the moment because I was reading on my nook. And and I turned the page and then I saw that is and I go wait, wait hang on and I went back a couple pages and then I went for okay I read that I read that okay seriously seriously <laughs> and and I remember my husband came in and he looked at me and he goes oh I know what just happened <laughs> <laughs> and I was so like funny. did this. Did this really, did Ned fucking die? Like, <laughs> like I was just, yeah. I thought I was missing pages. Like, it had glitched out on me. That's so funny. There was, That's uh, so funny. Um, Ned, on the topic of Ned Stark with your, your top one, Duncan. Ned Stark, when I first started watching Game of Thrones, I hadn't watched, or hadn't read the books yet. I watched the first two seasons, and then in between, I, I read the books, um, but when I first watched the very pi- the pilot episode, 
as soon as Ned Stark came on screen, I was like, yeah, Boromir, yeah. <laughs> nice, yeah. So I was, like, super on board with it, and then, you know, having seen him in other movies and stuff, I'm like, this probably isn't going to go very well for uh, for Sean Bean. <laughs> yeah, it never does, but right? <laughs> I'm not going to spoil myself. I didn't, I didn't look it up or anything like that. And then... When he when when his when his head got chopped off, I'm like, man, he just cannot catch a break. Like there's ever, yeah. And I, I believe uh, you guys were talking, I think last week or the week before on the podcast about um, the all Sean, the movies where he's all, killed in. Yeah, all all the movies he was killed in. And I wish I could have like replied live while you were doing that. But there's an there's a right. Sean Bean death reel on YouTube. <laughs> oh, it's like that's twenty great. minutes long, and it's just him dying. And it's just like one right after another. And if you get a chance, go look at it because it, you'll you'll be laughing within like three minutes. <laughs> at least I was. <laughs> I'll, um, I'll post it on the Game of Microphones yes. Facebook page. Yes, we will. Uh, so everybody can check it out. It's so funny. All right. We'll be right back, guys. Stick with us. news about game of thrones our first item is an article from business insider uk the justice league villain is a game of thrones fan favorite you probably didn't recognize justice league is in theaters this weekend and while there are a lot of famous faces reunited for the superhero movie there's one you will certainly overlook you wouldn't know it from looking at him but the film's cg villain steppenwolf is someone you're probably familiar with if you watch a lot of sci-fi or fantasy shows um steppenwolf is played by kieran hines who also played mance raider on game of thrones the leader of the free folk sorry jason momoa yeah what dumbledore too dumbledore is in uh, alberforth in harry potter Oh, yeah, oh, you don't man, recognize him in that, that either. <laughs> huh. Yeah, uh, the article continues. Sorry, Jason Momoa, you're not the only GOT alumnus in the superhero movie. Heinz didn't simply voice the Justice League villain either. He performed in a motion capture suit to bring the character to life. They stick a helmet on your head, they put two cameras around, and they capture all your experience. All of your expressions, facial expressions, Hines told BBC of filming his scenes separate from the superhero squad. So basically, they're going to concoct some kind of construction and they will use my facial expressions, eyes, mouth, voice. They'll turn into this murderous, um, avenging Steppenwolf from the planet Apocalypse, (laughs) apparently, who's bent on hell on Earth. Justice League is in theaters Friday. You want to do uh, Tolkien, Travis? Ooh, yes. (laughs) Okay, our next uh, article is by Inverse. Why it is so hard to compare Lord of the Rings to Game of Thrones. If you're a network executive, how do you compete with Game of Thrones? Sure, there's only one season left of the landmark HBO series, but talks of spinoffs had been inundated in the news cycles for months, and the season 7 finale tallied a whopping but not unexpected 12.1 million viewers. If you were Jeff Bezos, it reminded you that Amazon needed its own Game of Thrones. The answer to this dragon-sized problem turned out to be the OG master of high fantasy, J.R.R. Tolkien. Amazon announced that it had made a deal with the Tolkien estate and Warner Bros., reportedly spending up to $250 million to acquire the television rights to Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings series. 
The television adaptation will explore new storylines preceding J.R.R. Tolkien's The Fellowship of the Ring, Amazon revealed on Monday, which I hope it goes into the similar alien. Um, the late Tolkien, a war veteran, university professor, philologist, <laughs> poet, and all-around stereotypical 19th and earliest 20th century Englishman, had an unexpectedly convoluted writing style. He didn't take future TV adaptations into account when he, writing about Merry and Pippin hanging out with ancient, an ancient talking tree, Treebeard. Uh, he wasn't George R.R. R. Martin. Amazon now has a tough road ahead. Tolkien first published The Hobbit in 1937 in his three-volume masterpiece, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and The Return of the King between 1954 and 1955. It's actually six books as well. Um, the language of time, or the language of the time, and Tolkien's habit of writing thirty-page descriptions of feasting dwarves, <laughs> and uh. the way the wind sounds in the trees, will almost be un uh, undoubtedly be cut to make way for extended action sequences, quick quips, and more culturally relevant topics. <clears throat> That's not to say that Amazon's show won't somehow maintain Tolkien's uh, encyclopedically thorough style. Themes of adventure, bravery, and what it means to be a good person, and a ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous amount of elvish. But <laughs> it will be simplified, assuming it's all based on an existing Tolkien work at all. Unsurprisingly, Amazon's newly announced, totally mysterious Lord of the Rings show drew almost immediate comparison to HBO's Game of Thrones adaptation, which is fair. George R.R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones is the closest thing we have to a uh, to Tolkien's genre-defying fantasy series in the 21st century. HBO screenwriters and producers D.B. Weiss and David Benioff took over writing the adaptation of Martin's still-unfinished series during season six of the show in 2016 in collaboration with Martin, and the show continued to keep hold of the world's attention in a rare way. Martin, an American sci-fi, horror, and fantasy writer with a background in television and screenwriting, wrote an epic series that was begging to be ad adapted adapted for TV. Amazon is hoping for a similar cultural obsession for its Lord of the Rings series. Peter Jackson's monumental trilogy adaptation, released between 2001 and 2003, made more than one billion at the domestic box office and swept uh, awards shows with the same fierceness that, that Game of Thrones has. Um, <clears throat> a Lord of the Rings television series, whether a multi-season long-form narrative or an anthology project, like some are anticipating, will almost invariably succeed. Just like Game of Thrones, there will be plenty of purists crying false, but there's no way in hell a straight book to show Lord of the Rings adaptation would be fun to watch. It just wouldn't be. Um, comparisons between the two shows are astute because, if anything, Martin has always cited Tolkien as one of his greatest influence, but with the caveat that he's also one of Tolkien's biggest critics. While speaking at the Edinburgh uh, International Book Festival in 2014, Martin said, I revere Lord of the Rings. I reread it every few years. It had an enormous effect on me as a kid. Martin has also publicly questioned Aragorn's tax codes, no joke, and always considered Tolkien's story to be too simple. Lord of the Rings had a very medieval philosophy that if the king was a good man, the land would prosper, Martin said in a 2014 interview with Rolling Stone. We look at real history, and it's not that simple. <clears throat> Tolkien's fictional world has a rich history, but in, in, in many ways, it's actually quite simple, and his prose is flowery. 
That's a combination that will likely prove much more difficult to adapt for TV um, than Martin's saga. That Sound of the Wind in the Trees thing would be good for a pretty intro song and nothing else. The Winds of Winter, the penultimate novel in Martin's series, is hopefully expected to publish sometime before the show's season 8 premiere, though no promises have been made. Martin's writing and advertising, or and, <laughs> Martin's writing and advising Weiss and Benioff on the direction of the story. Meanwhile, Tolkien died in 1973, and anything that's come out since then, including the history of Middle Earth, the Silmarillion, um, has been published uh, posthumously by his son Christopher Tolkien. The amount of creative control allotted to Amazon by the Tolkien estate is currently unknown, but it's not like. Tolkien is around to provide incredibly detailed opinions about the show. Lord of the Rings, ultimately a pure story filled to the brim with triumph and bittersweet happiness, will undoubtedly change to fit the small screen more than Game of Thrones and all its corrupt prostitute-killing politicians. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Uh, And that is a good thing. You probably like trees just as much as you like the next person, but there's no way you liked them as much as Tolkien did. Wow, that was a lot to read about Tolkien, but <laughs> I'm a huge um, J.R. Tolkien fan, so um, I just yesterday submitted my resume and my portfolio and a cover letter to every person I could find about potentially working on this new series, um, hopefully to nice. create leather armor. Um, I think you've pointed out a few times that, or gave a shout out that I do leather work and stuff, so... I'm obsidian crow leatherworks. Yeah. Thanks again, man. Uh, so I'm hoping to hear <laughs> back. Um, the, there was also another little news. I know it's not relating to game of Thrones right now, but, um, Chris Tolkien just resigned as head of Tolkien estate too. So, Oh, interesting. So that'll affect the series too. Yeah. Which is probably why the series has the green lit by Amazon. Um, I've been following all this news lately. Uh, Interesting. And he just his last work was Baron and Luthien that just came out earlier earlier this year, which has way more history. So if you're super into Lord of the Rings, you should go check that out because that's his last book that he compiled. And without Chris Tolkien, like Tolkien's legacy is being Chris Tolkien's legacy is preserving his father's legacy. <laughs> so it's just it's just this never ending love for Middle Earth. So I really really recommend you guys all looking into all of that nice you're up Kristen okay Tywin Lannister could come back for Game of Thrones prequel as far as Game of Thrones deaths go the murder of Tywin the narcissistic Lannister patriarch who basically ruled from the shadows after Joffrey took to the throne was definitely one of the most satisfying it's hard to imagine a more suitable end for such a colossal shitbag than taking a crossbow to the chest at the hands of your own son while curling one out on a medieval style bog it's like poetry the only downside was that he was such a fantastic character it was really a shame to have lost him with several series still to go however a lannister always pays his debts and charles dance owed it to us the viewers not to let a character this brilliantly unlikable disappear from our screens forever speaking during an interview with metro dance said that he would be more than happy to take part in a game of thrones prequel his only caveat being that it would need to be just as brilliant at what came before or after it (laughs) 
When asked oh, about man. the potential for Tywin's return in a hypothetical prequel, Dance said, if it was in the same caliber, yes, because Game of Thrones really was as good as it gets. It's a fantastic series. He added, I look back on it fondly. Occasionally, you have long days in the cold and the horse doesn't behave properly or the armor sticks in the back of your neck, but we're not down in the mines digging for coal, we're actors. If he thought a Game of Thrones prequel seemed too good to be true, then buckle up because in fact, there are reportedly as many as five of them in the works right now. Woo. Granted, it's all a bit hush-hush at the moment, but creator George R.R. R. Martin did discuss one of the projects on his blog and even announced that longtime Game of Thrones writer Brian Cogman was working on it. Martin said, I can say that, like the other pilots, it will be a prequel rather than a sequel. Series will be an adaptation and one that will thrill fans, thrill most fans of the books, I think, set during a very exciting period of Westerosi history. And I'll be working with them every step of the way. We're going to be co-creating the show. HBO should have a wealth of material to choose from, and it's not even counting the four weird-ass series concepts I've come up on my own, just for the hell of it. <laughs> there are 8 million stories in The Naked City, and maybe 10 times as many in Westeros and the lands beyond the Narrow Seas. So it looks like we've got nothing to worry about in terms of getting our fix once the curtains close on Season 8. However, as for Tywin Lannister making a comeback, for now, all we can do is hope. I'd love to see him. Where's the naked city? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know. And next, we have Raven's Calls. Call, call. <laughs> Katie Croft says, All I can think about is how Tyrion looked like he was in a boy band in season one compared to season seven. <laughs> yeah, with his blondie. I totally hair. agree. He looks so <laughs> gross in the first um in the first season or first episode in the pilot. <laughs> Hilarious. Jennifer Weir says, I'm somewhat new to your podcast and I've been loving it. This is my second rewatch and it's been great to listen to your observations and comments about each episode. So many great moments in this first season finale. I've seen this episode several times and I still yell at my TV for Sansa to push Joffrey and kill him when given the opportunity. Me too, girlfriend. <laughs> Seeing Gendry and Arya meet up for the first time makes me hopeful for a reunion finally in season eight. Me too. R.I.P. Call Drogo, but hello, dragons. This girl, I love you. I love you, Jennifer Weir. <laughs> May Almardini says, my sp perspective of the episode is the theme of births and rebirths in this episode. I mean, let's start with the three awesome dragons. Danny is reborn from the fire. Arya is reborn as she heads on her path to become no one, and Tyrion is reborn as he becomes the Hand of the King to take charge of his life and be on his way to help Danny. Sansa has lost her innocence and is also reborn. I wish the, sp the show spent more time on Rickon. They teased us with the knowledge that he has, um, or that he also has visions, but his character is never developed. Not sure if this is the case in the books. Um, I think, yeah. yeah, in the books, they, they give a little bit more of a, a hint about recon, um, and, and that whole, the whole crypt scene. Um, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Duncan, but they're, they mentioned him off on some islands too, at some point. Yeah. You got, he ends up in Skagos, Skagos I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lucy Roberts says, I'm confused. Does Mary Musder ever actually tell Danny that she won't have children on the TV show? 
And uh, no, she does not in the TV show, although she definitely does in the books. And uh, I think to make up for not having been told that on the show, that's why they had uh, Danny mention it in season seven to John. Must have been an off-screen thing. She Lucy also continues. mentioned it to Dario. Oh, oh. did she? Mm-hmm. She told Dario, well, you know, it, 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 it'll be brought to light at some point, but um, she does tell him that she can't have children. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Nice, um, yeah, good to know. Uh, Lucy continues, Sir Duncan, do you think that Miri meant to kill Danny's baby? Or was that just a byproduct of her wanting uh, Drogo to die and a bonus? I've never been able to work it out, work out if that was her plan all along. I think that she knew what was going on there. Um, yeah, that's that's my take. What do you guys think? I agree. I think that that was absolutely what she wanted. Uh, she wanted to kill the stallion that was going to mount the world. Um, the call of calls. Didn't she yep. say that at some mm-hmm. point? In the, yeah, in the episode she said like he would have been the stallion that mounted the world, you know. So. Although she didn't necessarily say that, yes, I knew this was going to be the, oh, yeah, like, yeah, the result. Yeah. But she does say that it's better that he's dead, essentially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I the stallion think. who mounts the world will burn no cities now. His kalasar shall trample no nations into dust. Yep. Exactly. Boom. I loved her accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as much as really I hated job. her. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, um, so I I read something interesting that I wanted to bring up here just really quick. Um, is that, you know, when, when she does talk about this prophecy, you know, there is like one, two sentences that is not in the show that was in the book, right? It was when your womb quickens again and you bear a living child, then he will return and not before. Mm -hmm. And so I read this, I don't know if I read it in an article or a comment or I don't, I don't know where I read it, but I thought it just, it blew my mind. I thought it was awesome. Um, How they said, if Danny and John end up, you know, getting pregnant like everybody thinks that they're going to, and she names her baby Drogo, then that's when she sees Drogo again. Oh, man. That'd be cool. Yeah. Drogo Snow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There you go. See? You know. Let's name him Aegon. You get it. (laughs) And then my cousin, my cousin mentioned the other day, because I was talking to him about, um about this whole theory and stuff. And he said that um, the um, hang on one second, because I was like, Oh, this is actually very cool. He said um, mountains blow like leaves, like the huge chunks of the wall flying through the air at East watch. Mm. Oh snap. That's a good call. And the wall is as tall as a mountain basically is a ice mountain. Right. Right. And, you know, the Dothraki Sea in the books was starting to dry up or it was starting to freeze over at the wall. Like, you know, so you never know. Yeah. Nick Wickens says, I was really sad losing Drogo in this episode the first time around as I had all this excitement about seeing him fuck shit up in Westeros. Didn't read the books till after season one, so I wasn't expecting it. In hindsight, I'm glad they made changes to that part of the story, particularly in the fight with Mago, as this didn't happen in the books. Instead, he just defeated some other calls, which would be badass, but happened outside the point of view. So I prefer the show version. That and more interaction with Danny made me more invested in his character in the show. 
Though time has passed now, and I think, especially after episode 9 of season 6 and pretty much all of season 7, it's fair to say the Drogo for Dragons trade was a fair one. <laughs> all in all, this event and episode in general is where Danny's ascension to badass truly began. For sure. Definitely. Also, Duncan, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on Tywin's motives in this episode. I can't seem to view it as anything other than genuinely giving Tyrion a chance and almost handing him an olive branch. If Tyrion had seen it more as such and not brought Shay with him, I think things could have been a lot different for him and the Lannisters as a whole. The reason I think this is genuine is I can't see what Tywin had to gain in anything else and clearly demonstrated he at least valued Tyrion's potential more than Cersei's. I'd love to get your thoughts on this as after all these years, viewings and readings, I may be missing something that makes it all more sinister, but I've always had the feeling that Tyrion fucked up his chance here despite doing a good job as hand. He failed to respect Tywin's wish and therefore didn't get the recognition he wanted or deserved because the direct violation of the order did not bring the whore with him eclipsed his achievements in Tywin's eyes. That's a really solid uh, way to look at that. I think that's pretty pretty much spot on. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely, definitely. Really, good it's so sad that the that the whore would eclipse everything else. Yeah, and that, especially when Tywin is end, ends up getting down with that whore. I was to say that, that's assuming that she wasn't planted from the beginning, like you guys mentioned in the previous podcast. Yeah. Tywin obviously knew who she was. She, she could have she could have been planted. Right. Don't take that whore with you. Like he knew about her. She was bought for the trial. They bought her off in the trial, but I'm not sure that. I think she loved him. Yeah, I think so too. She was so strong, and she would have protected Sansa. She would have given her life for Sansa. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. not okay. that's not somebody who's easily swayed. That's a good point. <laughs> that's a really good point. Yeah. Definitely not easily swayed, <laughs> for sure. She did a really good job acting, the the, the actress who played her. Um, yeah. I agree. Like, like her portrayal, like just the, the flips and like you didn't... I mean, me, when I watched it the first time, I wasn't expecting the... Uh, the um, her turning on Tyrion like that. No, yeah, that crazy. was surprising. Because, I mean, it was just, it seemed genuine, you know? Like, it just seemed like she was there with him in the city, so. Yeah. <laughs> when Tyrion married Sansa, that was, I don't know, that was a big turning point for Shay. Mm, yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah, that could have been, that could have been the moment that she decided, you know. She should have, like, understood, though. What's, yeah, you know, I, I think he explains, you know, like, he's like, I didn't choose this, I didn't, you know. All that. Yeah, she, she tried. A book. She was not someone to reason with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, you're up, Trav. Okay, Kira Brown says, "You know, as rough as this show is, can you imagine if they had made the beheading of Ned the season finale? Say what you will about the brutality of this show, but I doubt so many people would have come back for season two without the hope of dragons <laughs> to come." Totally, I, I definitely agree. Um. I loved the way they ended it with them babies and Danny standing in her in all her new strength and glory. We lost Ned. She lost Drogo. She thought it was over. We thought it was all over. She got dragons. We got dragons. And it was like, <laughs> all right, let's take it to level two and do this. Turn, Fuck, it, up, turn yeah. it up to 11. 
<laughs> also, in regards to Tywin, don't play yourselves. Tywin has never been stupid. He knows that Cersei isn't strong, or isn't as strong as she thinks he he as she thinks she is, <laughs> and that his grandson is an immature savage. I that's a good good word for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he couldn't use Jamie, so guess who he can use as a hand that won't give him so much lip. Tyrion, you got played, son. He knows you're loyal to the family and just as crafty as the rest of the family. Why not use Tyrion for a while and cast him aside once you're done with your war? <laughs> Another good take. That on is, that. yeah. Uh, for sure. Carla May says, I marathoned the first season in one night and the last episode sealed the deal. Read the entire series and was hooked. I'll never forget the image of Danny and the dragons. <laughs> You didn't read the entire series in one night, did you? (laughs) (laughs) That'd be amazing. Yeah. We've got a couple uh, emails as well. Take it away, Kristen. This is from Archmaester Rennie. And so we come sadly to the end of season one. This episode has a had really great opening and closing shots. It opens with a tight shot on ice, dripping with Ned's blood, and closes yeah. with baby Drogon spreading his wings on Daenerys's shoulder. Both really iconic images. Other than those shots, my three favorite scenes in this episode are Bran and Rickon's visions of Ned in the Crypt, mm-hmm. Catelyn saying that she and Rob would get the girls back and then will kill them all. Yes. Mm-hmm. I quoted Chilling that. if you know what's coming. And the scene between Varys and Littlefinger. The scenes between the two of them, which can never happen in the books because those two don't have POV chapters, are one of the best additions to that, that the show makes. I totally yeah. agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that. That's awesome. <laughs> Season one was a really great adaptation of the books, with the exception of the invention of the character of Roz and the use of sex position. <laughs> if there had ever been a subsequent, if there had ever been a subsequent seasons. I still would have found the show really satisfying. See you in season two, Archmaester Rennie. <laughs> I liked Roz. I liked sex position. <laughs> what Tyrion, or uh, not Tyrion, uh, well, I guess, yeah, Tyrion, too. Pycelle. I was gonna, no, I was going to say Theon. <laughs> what would Theon oh my be gosh. like? really got around. <laughs> Theon in season one, you'd be like, no, Roz, what? <laughs> She's the village bicycle. <laughs> yeah. North, south, doesn't matter. Yeah, all villages. Um, you want to read this one, Duncan? Uh, you're next. Oh, I'm next. Okay. Um, this is from Reich. Uh, it says, hi, Duncan. That's why. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll read it. It's all good. I'll, I'll say hi to Rick. Hi, Rick. Uh, just wanted to say thanks for the podcast. I really enjoy it, and it makes waiting for season eight so much more bearable. By the way, people in Berlin are listening to the podcast, too. That's awesome. That's All cool. the way around the world. What up, Berlin? You know, I was there not last summer, but the summer before that. I w- would have met up nice. with you guys if I would have known that. <laughs> Shout out to Germany. Woo! Yeah. Uh, I'm a little bit behind with listening, so I don't have any episode-related things to contribute. But there is one thing I wondered ever since Jon Snow, or ever since Jon Snow's um, real parentage was revealed. What did Robert Baratheon think Lyanna Stark died of? Surely he can't have known she died in childbirth. Otherwise, Ned showing up with the baby bastard would have been a little bit too obvious. <clears throat> so what did Ned tell Robert about Lyanna's death? Is there something that I missed about that? Thanks, and looking forward to a year full of new podcast episodes. Reich. And he put a smiley face as well. 
That's a good question. Do you guys know why everybody thinks Liana died? I've always wondered the same thing. Like, I've never been able to find an answer to, like, what he, how she died. Christian. Maybe it was just assumed that um, Rhaegar killed her. I mean, everybody thought that he imprisoned her. Raped and, her and stuff. Yeah. yeah and, um, you know, Rhaegar's entire family had just been killed. But it had to be known that the that you know three of the Kingsguard, three or four of the Kingsguard had were down at the Tower of Joy protecting her. Yeah, but nobody knows about that. Nobody knows about the Tower of Joy except for Ned. Well, nobody knows and the Howland specifics. Reed. But they know that three Kingsguard are buried under Cairns down there, and that like shit hit the fan there. You know. But People nobody knew until happened. nobody knew that Leanna Stark was in there. I mean, we didn't. No. I mean, we theorized for years and years, but we didn't really know well, until recently. Everybody knew that. I think that people knew that Liana was down there, but nobody knew about the birth. That's for sure. Because I mean, Ned showed up there because he had intel that Liana was there. You know, like where's my sister? And Arthur Dane's like, I wish you good fortune in the wars to come. So I feel like people knew that Liana was there. Um, and people definitely knew about the aftermath, considering Arthur Dane was killed and everything like that. Um, so people know about the occurrence. I just don't know what the reason that people think Liana died was. It's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. George. That's a George, great question. Us. Yeah, really good question. I don't <laughs> even have any answer for that. Really, it's pretty. <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, that's wild. Maybe if maybe anybody we'll knows. Someday. Yeah. If anybody, if any of the listeners know. Um, write in or post it up if you have any yeah, for sure. intel on that. That would be a really great answer. I feel like know. I looked this up a, like a long while ago, and I can't, I don't think I ever came up with anything. So please, yeah, yeah, please, please write in to the um, one person that's screaming at us right now. I know they're like, <laughs> it's right in front of you. It's a game game at podcastica.com. Tell us. Yes. Please. <laughs> please. Please. Thank you. <laughs> our next email is from Sir Pete of Longwood. Hey, guys. Love your podcast. Do you guys think Ned seems to feel like he broke his promise to Liana? Do you think he told somebody? What else could it be? He kept John safe and his secret seems safe so far. If so, who did he tell? Benjen? Also, I read somewhere that George originally wrote Hodor as a black guy named... Hody doe <laughs> but but his editors had him change it because it was too close to hold the door do you know if this is true that just can't be true <laughs> <laughs> love you guys sir pete of longwood just love you too not pete. be sir true pete. yeah there's like no one of his friends is just messing with him <laughs> like, yeah. yeah it would be really really funny though I honestly, yeah. specifically I he was black i don't have uh, i don't have a, like a for sure answer for you hody doe <laughs> my name's hody doe it says hody doe all the time instead of hodor <laughs> hey, Hody Doe. Hody Doe. Hody Doe. <laughs> well, I think, um, Duncan, yeah, you and Kristen. I have actually talked a little bit about who, what, who knows what and how much do they know. Like, does Jamie know right. anything? And, um, right. Maester Eamon could theoretically know if Benjen knew. Benjen knows, right? What, how would the story be different if Catelyn knew? Right. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Do you, do, what do you think, Travis? Do you think? Yeah, um, I, Benjen knows at least. I I want to believe that Benjen knew, um, but a part of me also thinks that I might just be playing into like fan theory. And like, I want to believe. I want to believe. Truth is out there. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it, if if anything, or if anybody was aware of the situation, it would have been ben, Benjamin. If, yes, if, if it was definitely. like on the table as a possibility. Could um, be why Benjamin ultimately sacrificed himself for John to live at um, the Magnificent Seven yeah. battle. The East Watch Seven, yeah. yeah. Did, did you guys, when you were watching um, the live um, live episodes, did you guys get spoiled on anything prior to, um, due to the leaks? Nope. No. Oh, you're so lucky. I went dark. I, I didn't was, go on I media, tried. nothing. I scrolled past, like, everything that had anything related to Thrones until I saw, like, the weekly episode, you know? And... I don't remember where I saw it. It was somewhere on Facebook, and it was one of those, like, fan Game of Thrones fan pages or whatever it was. And it showed um, pictures, like, like four pictures of uh, Viserion's ice eyes, you know, like, opening up. Oh, snap. And I was like, oh my damn gosh. it. And then I, I got spoiled by that. And then, like, the next day... Um, I mean, this was like prior. This was weeks before the, uh, the that episode even aired because that was the final one. Um, I know that was the one that was prior to the final, right? Um, and then before that, or like literally the next day, I also saw something about Benjen dying, and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> I, yeah. I refused to believe it was real until I actually saw it, and then I was really, I was even more upset. <laughs> Maybe like ho do Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what you didn't see anything about though was ghosts. I know, right? I <laughs> There's nothing to see. Yeah. All right. Uh, you're up, Kristen. This is from Caroline Collins. Hi, Throners. Great to have Jason back on last week's episode. I totally agree. <laughs> Just to clarify my comment about Joffrey dying earlier. If Ned had exposed him as a bastard, maybe the angry mob would have turned against him or Stannis and Renly would have had bigger numbers and maybe could have been more successful in their campaigns. The small folk in King's Landing seem to really hate the royal family anyway, so I'm surprised Cersei and Joffrey, they don't get attacked every time they leave the Red Keep. They seem to want they seem to just want a scapegoat and to turn it around and have it be Joffrey instead of Ned would have been so sweet. Huh. Speaking mm. of this episode, Fire and Blood, the biggest thing I noticed was that the final two scenes were John followed by Danny. The way they framed John's scene, it could have been the final scene of season one until the pyre appeared. And I remembered about Danny and her dragons. It's almost like they're giving ice and fire equal weight as they close it as they close on season one. Oh, that's nice. I really haven't noticed this until this rewatch, how central John is against all these side stories. I think because my favorite characters are Arya and Tyrion, I'm sure I'm not alone, even skimming through Kat and Davos's chapters to get back to my faves. I was too <laughs> focused on whether they would survive one week or one chapter to the next. <laughs> it almost went unnoticed that the real story was winter coming and Danny and her dragons making it across the narrow sea... Finally, <laughs> a few other little details that stood out this time. The episode opens with blood and closes with fire. Oh, oh, yeah, nice. The last word spoken is also blood, unless you count Drogon's shriek as a line, which right, <laughs> blood, blood of my blood. Yep, 
<laughs> it's weird game? that Arya and Gendry are walking as they leave King's Landing. Aren't they two people Yorn doesn't want seen or recognized? At the time, I was thinking, are they going to walk all that way to the wall? And then I realized how out in the open they are. I'm glad her Rachel haircut protects her. <laughs> I love Friends references. Thanks for seeing us safely through season one. I'm rereading the books to remedy all the skimming. So take your time on season two. I'm not even halfway through the first book. I agree with Duncan on the books. If you love the show, the books are very enjoyable, especially if you know the characters and a little bit of the history of Westeros. I can't wait to get beyond the wall and freeze our butts off or get to the red waste and eat our horses. See you in season two. Caroline Collins. So no one told awesome. you life was going to turn out this way. <laughs> Insert clap. Next. Yeah. Our next uh, email comes from AV. Great podcast. I've listened and continue to listen to every episode. Keep it going. Thanks, AV. Here are some of my thoughts that you may find interesting. One, when Jon traveled, traveled to meet Daenerys for the first time in season seven, Daenerys did not know Ned, Hand of uh, King and Jon's father at that time, <laughs> openly rebelled against King Robert, King Robert killing her unborn baby. Yeah, that's true. That would have been good for her to know that Ned stood up for her um, and against having her killed too, not just her baby. I was wondering, why did she still believe this? One, Varys was on the small council and knew Ned did not want her baby killed and also knew that Ned even quit his hand over this. Also, didn't Captain of the Kingsguard Barristan know his objections to this too? Um, Ned's hand, his resignation from being hand was big news and King Robert was emotional and hardly kept his frustrations just to himself. Drunk. In fact... Yeah. In season one, episode seven, just as Ned came out of Robert's room, he spoke to Varys about Robert wanting to cancel the kill order of Daenerys' unborn baby. Barristan was there and could hear everything. Three, both Varys and Barristan were advisors and shared a lot of past knowledge with Daenerys. One would think that at least on one of them would have shared this bit of info with her. Of course, Daenerys not knowing this fact adds to the story and drama. Two, Arya's confrontation with two dumb guards at King's Landing <laughs> in season one, and then again in season seven, episode four, when she returns to Winterfell. Both cases, the guards did not believe her. They threatened her, and in both cases, she used similar threats about what might happen to them if they turned her away, and Ned slash Sansa found out. There was another, but I seem to have forgotten it. I'll send it if I remember. Cheers, A.V. <laughs> Thanks, A.V., for writing in. Lots of good stuff there. Yeah. yeah, I wonder uh, wonder how Danny doesn't know about that. Um, it's funny too because Ned obviously he knew that 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 John would be her niece essentially. So it's like it would have been Ned's family through blood sort of marriage uh, being killed. So of course he wouldn't want his his sister in law to be killed essentially. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Which is pretty cool. And if he yeah. would have, if he would have just told John, you know. There yeah. wouldn't be this love thing going on in season seven. Or maybe there would <laughs> or be. Maybe, yeah. I don't know, yeah. <laughs> it didn't stop Jamie and Cersei. Yeah, it's true. No, yeah, they're knowing. Um, and we also have a voicemail from Anwen in New Zealand. Hey, it's Anwen here from New Zealand. Just um, wanted to let you know I have fallen a little bit behind on the rewatch, um, so I haven't watched tonight's episode, but I did just want to call in and say how I think it's amazing that a show like Game of Thrones can 
for such a gruesome show with so much death and destruction, it's incredible how much it pulls people together. It's like an instant recognition when you realize someone that you're talking to is a fan. Mm. I even had my yoga teacher recently say she was channeling Daenerys when she pulled out some flying dragon moves. <laughs> and I glanced around the class and I could see the room divided into either knowing smiles or confused looks. I, th- I just think that's really cool. Anyway, love the podcast. Keep it coming and I'll try to catch up. Thanks, Anwen. Thanks. Oh, Anwen. I love, <laughs> gosh, I love hearing from her. I, I don't know if you listened to the Walking Dead cast, Travis, but she did a call on this week's. Oh, yeah. And there are birds chirping as she's talking. Like, she sounds like she's, you know, Aurora In from Earth. Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> Just la, 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 la. <laughs> I'm in New Zealand and I've got birds everywhere. It's awesome. It's so fun. Our New Zealand trip is essentially a lord of the rings trip like we're going on the north island and we're going on the south island and we're going to like all of these film sites like mount doom mount Edoras, um wellington that'll for be the fun hobbiton yeah that'll be Lowland awesome caves and all that kind of stuff and i have a few friends who work at weta so we're gonna maybe meet up with them and maybe just maybe um tolkien's great grandson who i happen to be friends with so nice i'm trying to, I'm, yeah i gotta see what he's up to and whatnot so definitely hit up anwen too maybe yes, she'll be able to, yes uh, contact me i show you something cool february 23rd through march 9th so maybe we can meet up and meet in person <laughs> All right, that's our show, episode 52. Thanks for listening, everybody. Next episode, we'll be covering season two, episode one, The North Remembers. If you want to call and leave your feedback, you can reach us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3639. Send your ravens to ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash gompodcast. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and everywhere you download your podcasts. Thanks for listening. know what happens to deserters better than you do what are you gonna do find my brother and put a sword through king joffrey's throat and also brood yeah puff the magic dragon lives by the sea and frolicked in the autumn mist <laughs> on a leaf <laughs> sorry <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line. 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.